Hey guys, welcome to Speech Bubble. Butch Hartman here with uh, with me as always is what's your name again? And Jay Steele, that's my name. Jay yeah. Steele, that's your yes. name. We sound a bit. Here's what. Here's the deal. We sound a bit echoey, uh, and here's why. We haven't gotten the money to build our own studio yet, so we're not like in our own sound stage at all. But we we might as well be in a sound stage. It's we're cooler the, than a sound stage, I'll tell you that. It is. We're in the we're in the uh, home slash uh, secret lair. Is it a lair? It is a lair. Yeah, like, like, definitely a lair. Clubhouse, like, whatever. Like a yeah. headquarters. I yeah, guess. dressing room. Exactly. Yeah. We're we're in the home of. I guess I guess the word legendary totally applies. Mm-hmm. Uh, legendary producer for Disney, Don Hahn. Hey, Don Hahn. Hi, really good. Good to have you guys here. Well, thank you. In fact, what's great about you, Don, you let us use your microphones and your lights, so thank yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for that. And my food, too. I wish you guys could <laughs> eat before you came. You will be making us lunch before we get out of here. Yeah, no, no. We've got some ham sandwiches and stuff. Oh, that's Excellent. nice. Good. I hate Already ham, but I hate ham, but that's fine. All right, All right. so... Okay. Well, Hey, man, well, uh, thanks for letting us come over. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Normally, we have guests come into our studio, but our studio is like a little box with blue walls. Uh-huh. And, yes. you know, it's kind of, we've been there, done that, Don. Yeah, yeah. And we're just glad to have, uh, now, Don's invited us to a secret lair. Mm. Am, I, am I allowed to say the city that we're in? No. Okay, no. not the city. It's on the West Coast. It's on the West Coast. Mm, yes. In Los Angeles. It's, it's, mm. it's in California, yeah, and that's okay. all I'm allowed that's to say. It, yeah. mm. But if you guys, now, we, we are recording this for, for YouTube. We're, we're actually, we're, we're orbiting right now, actually. Yeah. It's <laughs> that's a, right. It's, yeah. It's an orbiting. Uh, we are. And But he could turn the air off at any time. Yeah. Just be careful. <laughs> but we're here inside this amazing, uh, I, I guess I'm going to describe it's a studio, right? Yeah. Your art studio. Yeah, it was, you know, I've, I've been here. We use this as my office, and um, I got it about 10 years ago. It was built as an art studio. Uh, so it was built in 1908, which is really unusual for California. So it has really great old kind of arts and crafts architecture. And uh, it's not fancy. It's kind of a barn. But um, it's just a great place with a lot of natural light. And we can come here and make documentaries and make movies and paint and do whatever we want to. Okay, so it's really a home away from home for you. Yeah, it is. So you must be married. I am. <laughs> I am too. And I have, you know. I have a home away from home. It's called my office off my bedroom. That's what yeah. I'm yeah. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is really awesome, man. I, I, if I can just paint a picture for our audience a little bit, because yeah. we do this on YouTube and we do the audio as yeah, well. Yeah, great. Those of you on audio, uh, I'm, it's, if you can imagine sort of a, a 1930s-ish sort of a bungalow type of thing. Where there, mm. there's, it's two stories. Kind of a, I, I would call it like almost like a hunting lodge. If it, It's kind yeah, of what it looks bit. like. Yeah, a little bit. There's a mm. big fireplace and... Um, yeah, the, there's some animal sacrifice going on. Yeah, exactly. There. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But right. just the trinkets that you have. Mm-hmm. You, you have everything in here from Disney memorabilia. And I'm not talking stuff you can buy at Disneyland. This is stuff like only someone from the studio would have. Right, right. So you've stolen stuff from the studio, which I is have. great. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, over there is a, uh, um, a Lion King uh, sculpture I can see over there. Yes. Is that a maquette and from? That's a maquette from the movie uh, of Mufasa. And that's Thurl Ravenscroft from the Haunted Mansion next to uh, oh, uh, yeah. the Haunted Mansion movie, actually. That's actually his yeah. head. Is that a bust of his head? That, it is. It is uh, Rick Baker's sculpted that so um that's really kind of, ghosts come out to social love yeah uh, from, love yeah, that. from, from love that 50 years old this year um, oh yeah haunted right. mansion's 50 yeah. years old yeah no joke mm-hmm. oh my god amazing 1969 yeah my yeah. favorite ride at disneyland uh, yeah me too. still mm-hmm. to this day yeah. it's great and you think those guys were so ahead of their time because we take for granted because we grew up with the doom buggies and the mm-hmm. but the technology and the pepper's ghost effects and everything else that's in that attraction is just amazing it's well, still it's, magical like you still is. don't understand how half the things work totally so right? yeah and it's so simple. They just, they use things as simple as reflections to yes. make you think there's ghosts in the room. When yeah. I found that out at age like 30, I'm like, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> no. I know. Now, how do you acquire some of this stuff? Because I feel like it belongs in the Disney other archives. Than, other, right? than, other than theft, how did you acquire? Yes, exactly. It? Well, that's why I don't disclose where the studio is. Um, <laughs> exactly. I'm afraid yes, of law enforcement. For good reason. Yeah, exactly. No, I, you know, I don't know how much of it was really intentional. It's just I wanted. To, I slowly started surrounding myself with things I love, mm-hmm. sure. and I think we all do that to a degree. So, like, whenever I travel, I buy a clock. 
So a lot of these little, but it has to be hand wound. Mm -hmm. It can't be electrical. Um, And so there's little clocks and they're, it's not uh, expensive and it's not like a hobby. I just ended up buying clocks everywhere, but they have memories to them. So there's my mom's vacuum cleaner and my. I love that. It's an Electrolux vacuum that you've seen in every 50s cartoon. Mm -hmm. Everyone. It looks like a spaceship. It it looks, yeah. It really does. Beautifully designed. And my grandpa's saw and my dad's snowshoes. And, you know, it's just things like that that it's not that they uh, speak to me or have any mystical power. It's just comfortable. It's like working out of my garage almost, you know? So it has that feeling to it. And um, I was a music major in college. I have a lot of musical instruments around because I love that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just a really comfortable place to come and it's quiet and we get a lot of work done here. And and everybody I know that's in uh, at least associated with animation has a house similar to this. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. knickknacks. Because when you start making money in animation and can afford to like buy stuff, you go like, I can buy these really nice maquettes now. I can buy these. (laughs) Look, a Superman figure that costs a thousand dollars. I can buy this now. It's totally true. Other people are out buying Mercedes Benzes and things that we're out <laughs> yeah. buying. Or investing their money. Investing you know. their money, which would be foolish. <laughs> but do you feel like it fuels your creativity when you're surrounded by this yeah, kind of stuff? I, I guess it does in retrospect, yeah, because mm-hmm. it's it, it's just a sense of comfort and there's no, uh, it's like no negative voice in here. Yeah. Um, so it's really comfortable for me and I can, we've made just a lot of movies here. We made Waking Sleeping Beauty here. Oh, yeah. And we oh. made... Um, right in this room. This is your, like, you yeah. make the documentaries in yeah, this room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. Uh, we've worked on some of the Disney Nature movies here. Mm. Um, we're working on a project for Epcot Center right now. So it's it's just a place that's quiet. The phone doesn't ring. It's uh, And we just get a lot done. Well, this place was built before phones were invented, actually. I it's, think, it's right true. around the time, I think. It's true. Yeah. yeah, there were no phones. There were almost no cars when it was invented. Amazing, so it really was about the fireplace and uh, about coming here and doing art and painting. Yeah, so knows? cool. I'm, um, let, well, let's let's go back in time, in the time machine, in the speech bubble time machine. We'll go back. So where now, we're going to get into all the millions of things, and there are millions of things that you've mm-hmm. done, but what, where can we start, like, where were you born? Were you born in California? Well, no, I was born in Chicago, but when I was three years old, we moved out here. My dad uh, was a Lutheran minister, and he took a church out in Bellflower in the San Gabriel Valley. So in 1959, 1960, we moved out there. So I grew up, you know, Bellflower, Downey, Long Beach, that kind okay, of area. Okay, gotcha. And um, I felt really lucky. Like, in retrospect, I feel really lucky to have grown up in Southern California during that era, because it was amazing optimism, families, uh, soldiers returning from World War II, oh, yeah. had, and dairy cows, and all the necessities of life um, yeah, yeah. and Disneyland and, and then mm-hmm. like I remember one night waking up and looking out there was a big truck going by about four in the morning and it was a piece of the Saturn V rocket going down to McDonnell Douglas you know and <laughs> you just go oh yeah that's just what happens that's where I live this is where I live yeah yeah so um, yeah so I grew up uh, around here and then and later moved up to North Hollywood with my uh, my family and folks, and and that's kind of what got me plugged into Disney because I was always interested in. I was always a Disney geek, as we all are. Um, interested in music and art, and majored in music and art in school. But um, when I was 20, I got a job at, at Disney and just like making coffee for people. But mm. the people were like Wooly Ritherman and Ward Kimball and the nine old men. Nine old men. I was going to say, man. And and I. Mark Davis was Mark Davis. Mark there? Davis had gone to Imagineering by that time. Okay. But these I don't know if I really appreciated at the time, but I those were my teachers, so I. Worked Worked for Wooly for a couple of years. What year was this? You got the job at Disney. Uh, seventy six. Wow, seventy six. Mm-hmm. Seventy six. So they were all there. The Ron Miller era. The Ron Miller era. Yeah, yeah. And he. Um 
Yeah, he was in charge. We were making movies that maybe weren't that great. It was kind of Black Cauldron time. Mm -hmm. uh, now, when I got to Cal, I was going to say, you and I met 30 years ago, or yes. almost 36 years ago. <laughs> wow. I was a, I was a, a snot-nosed kid out of Michigan. I mm -hmm. just got to Cal Arts, and I was in my first year. And at the end of the year, they picked two students to have an internship at Disney. It was me and a guy named Brett Holland. Yeah, I think great. they picked us because we had the same initials, Brett Harper, so, yeah. Brett Holland. No, no. But we, um, we ended up going to, I thought, oh my gosh, I get to go, I, we got to go to Disney Studios for a month mm -hmm. and do a film. Uh, a student film and like to animate a film in a month and they picked me and Brett and so I was like oh my gosh I got to go to Disney Studios for a month but they had just moved the animators <laughs> yeah. from the main studio yeah. to Flower Street yeah. and yeah. Glendale <laughs> but but it was magical because like Brett and I were like shoved into a room and you guys were so nice to us but you guys were you were developing Roger Rabbit because mm -hmm. there were some guys animating test footage that right, right. the great mouse detective was being worked yeah. on mm -hmm. good movie. yeah a bunch of stuff and, but but Black Cauldron was the big movie yeah 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 was we, Eric still there Eric Larson Eric was there and I met him a couple times great Great, great. And he was there. I, actually, I, I did meet him a couple. Now that you mention it, and then um, I still I can't find the film. It was, it was shot on 35 millimeter, oh. and it was like it was like a two-minute <laughs> test pencil test that we did. And there's no way I, I know I have it somewhere, but I can't find it. Oh, we have to it. find that for you. We have. Yeah. I don't know where we'll find it. Uh, well, it I bet be it's in, in here. It's probably in this room. <laughs> it is. Actually, yeah. I have it. <laughs> it's over in the men's room over here. Yeah. <laughs> um. Perfect. <laughs> no, but um, but we did meet, and and um, but you used to, but you'd been at Disney for about 10 years at that point, or eight years at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was production managing. I was, you know, I, I drew for a while. I so you were an artist. You went in as an artist as well. After I was a PA for a while and running around, I really wanted to get into the art. And I worked with Don Bluth for a while on Peace Dragon, and loved Don and, and loved his work aesthetic and all that stuff. So I was his assistant, not assistant animator, but in his room, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, handling his dry cleaning and stuff like that. And um, and I wanted to really get into animation. So I, I in between for a while for Eddie Gaskell and Glenn Keane and some of those guys. And I knew right away that I wasn't going to be a, I wasn't going to be Glenn Keane. I, I, you know, I wasn't. I think we a, all learned very. We all learned very quickly. Yeah, we quickly. Not going it's to a be universal Glenn statement. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, and I, so I kind of migrated towards working with people, and I love the idea of um, helping artists get their job done. And yet I have a real mm. appreciation for how damn hard it is to do anything. Yeah. yeah. To do anything, to paint, to, to draw, to. The, I mean, you, and you had guys at the studio probably there until two, three in the morning. I mean, doing yeah. stuff. And, yeah. And then sleeping there, and then mm. getting up at six and starting work again. Yeah. It's it's an all uh, as you know more than anybody. It's a, it's a consuming uh, sport, this animation thing. It is. Uh, but I love it. You know, I just love it and got really seduced by it back then. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to hang around with, like, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston and Wooly and all these people that were um, kind of tacit tutors to all of us. Mm. Uh, and I came in about the same time as Ron Clements and John Musker and uh, Tim Burton and Brad Bird and all those guys. All those guys, yeah. So um, we were kind of the new generation coming in. Very cool. And so, like, you and so you guys were doing Roger Rabbit back then, The Great Mouse Detective. And I remember there was a lot of, like, um, cynicism from a lot of diehard Disney guys. And these are guys in their 20s back then. Mm. You know, but, oh, my gosh, can't believe they're making The Great Mouse Detective. I can't. They're calling it The Great Mouse Detective, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, but then a guy named, um, oh, gosh, what uh, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, the guy who produced uh, Little Mermaid. What's the, what's the name? I forgot. Howard Ashman. No, 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 no. Him and uh, uh, he started DreamWorks. Jeff Katzenberg. Jeffrey oh, Katzenberg. Jeffrey Katzenberg. Katzenberg. I should have known this, of course. But Jeffrey Katzenberg comes in. And then we little, block it out. <laughs> <laughs> we're all blocking it out. No, but Jeffrey Katzenberg comes in and says, hey, let's make Little Mermaid. And things kind of take off in a different way at that point. Well, yeah, they really did. I mean, we. But Michael Eisner comes in, too. Yeah, 1984 was mm. like a big change. Michael Eisner, Frank Wells comes in, yeah. brings Jeffrey Katzenberg with. I don't think Jeffrey cared about animation at all. Mm -hmm. Roy, 
Disney was kind of given the animation department mm -hmm. and said, you know, you go play with these guys in Glendale. We'll get back to you after we make our Bette Midler movie or whatever. Right. Um, and and it just took off like a gasoline fire. And Jeffrey got really seduced by the process. And he, you know, there's a couple people that were really responsible for that time. Uh, and he was one of them. He really pushed us hard and uh, sometimes uncomfortably so. Uh, but he <laughs> and Howard Ashman, who came in and, and produced and wrote lyrics, and yep. Howard brought Aladdin into the uh, studio to work with Ron and John on. Mm -hmm. So that time, and we didn't know it at the time, but it turned out to be a kind of, um, I guess people call it a renaissance now, of um, kind of our generation's chance to do some of this stuff. Well, Beauty and the mm -hmm. Beast came out of that, too. It did. Yeah, Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, um, Lion King. The big four, like those four in a row. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, and there's also like Rescuers Down Under is in there, which nobody ever talks about. And I love a, Rescuers I do Down too. Under. It's a great movie full of great cinematography and, and kind of the first digital movie in Hollywood is Rescuers mm -hmm. Down Under. So, um, that and Tron. Tron had some digital stuff. Tron had some digital stuff too, which yeah. you're right. Yeah. So that kind of um, uh, hunger and the fear that, that animation was going to get closed um, and the idea that like this is our only chance to do something kind of pushed us all into this spot. And I have to really point to Howard Ashman for teaching us a lot about how to tell stories and music and, and how to write songs that told plot and mm. um, kind of getting us exposed to that whole world of uh, making musicals, which we didn't know. And people forget, um, and I, I, I try and teach Jace on occasion. Jace is learning. <laughs> it's very hard. Uh, very is, hard yes. to do. No, but it's like, it's like not so much about the animation, which is great, but like it's all about the story. It's about characters mm. that, that people can love and want to watch again. Because like, how many beautifully animated movies have there been that people have forgotten about because the story's wrong? Man, no one cares about the story. speak the truth. It's, it's so deceiving, and you want to say it's all about the technique. It's all about the glorious images. But you think of a movie like Toy Story or you know any of those movies, you forget about the technique you're, when you're five minutes into it. You go like, the first Toy Story was such a breakthrough. Yeah. But you're into it after a while, and you're rooting for a cowboy and a spaceman, and yeah. it doesn't matter how it was made. And your heart gets broken. Like, when Buzz yes. finds out he's a toy, you're like, oh, my gosh, oh my the poor God. guy. Gets yeah, exactly. So I think that's those discoveries, and they're still discoveries we have to make today about every movie, are the ones that uh, are important to hang on to. Because there's every bell and whistle that exists now. You can do anything on the screen, which oh, is yeah. an amazing era we live in. Uh, but the thing you can't do easily is uh, get a connection with the audience and have an emotional empathy. A perfect example, and this is, I've said this on Speech for a whole mm -hmm. and you hate when I say this, but <laughs> about the Star Wars movies, oh. how they've changed Star Wars yeah. so much yeah. that, that Star Wars was this movie or this, this franchise with amazing characters, but now the new generation of quote-unquote Star Wars makers doesn't have that same talent. They, yeah. they have all the Star Wars pieces, yeah. but the connection with the audience, I think, for me, is just missing a lot. Yeah, and some of that could be nostalgia, but I, I know what you mean, because it's like when Luke Skywalker's aunt and uncle were died or something like that. You just, you hardly knew the character, but you go, oh my god, he's, this is his turning point of his life. He's going to be thrust into this adventure, and this is, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, our Joseph Campbell moment, and you had this empathy for that character, and when movies work, no matter what movie it is, that's, we go to movies to see what it is to be human. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and when movies work, that's why we love them so much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, 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 so you're doing all those movies, and you, and you became a producer on those movies. Yeah, the first movie I produced was Roger Rabbit. I, mm. um, oh man, this is such a long story. Our audience uh, wants to know, how do you become a producer, going from the assistant guy to being a producer? How do you do well, I was a production manager on uh, Black Cauldron and um, Great Mouse Detective. And that was everything from running around with a clipboard to hiring people and working with artists, and I probably hired you at the time to come in and work on stuff. <laughs> um, so, I, and I loved that. I thought that was great for me, because I'm a little attention deficit, and it was nice to be able to have that variety. Um, Roger Rabbit, I had worked on Pete's Dragon, and so I knew kind of the animation live-action 
combination stuff, mm. and nobody else did because the animation department had changed. Uh, Peter Schneider had come in by that time, Eisner, Wells. Um, so Peter said, well, I'm going over to Amblin, come with me. And so I went over to Amblin, I sat down with Peter, and then Steven Spielberg walked in and Bob Zemeckis walked in. <laughs> and so, you know, little Donnie Hahn from Hellflower <laughs> sitting there going, hi, everybody, hi, everybody. <laughs> um, and uh, just started working on it. And I, you know the thing about that is those guys are so not intimidating. They're so they're a thousand percent about the work mm-hmm. and the story and the engagement. Um, so they were my teachers too. I learned so much on that movie. So I um, and then I went over and lived in London for two years um, and worked with Richard Williams. And I didn't know Dick. I knew his reputation. One of the one of the most talented animators of all time. He, uh, he's a genius, and I don't use that word lightly. Yeah. Um, he is a genius. Um, and he had never really finished a movie. You know, he had worked on that's the, true. He'd worked on the Thief and the Cobbler for years. Raggedy, and, uh, Raggedy and Andy. Raggedy and Andy. Yep. He got like either fired or left or whatever. <laughs> so he was notorious for being volatile and all that stuff. But I really liked the guy, and I think the other thing is, um, he had a jazz band, and on the weekends he played Dixieland at the Grosvenor House Hotel. And I'm, I'm a drummer, so I, he always asked me to sit in when his drummer wasn't there. And I think that bonded us more than I know because mm. we were able to just play music that was nothing about it. Jay, start, start taking drum lessons. Right okay, now. I'm on it. Yeah. Yeah. There's drums right over there. It's all about that. Get going. That. So anyway, that experience was uh, great. It was challenging. It was impossible. We didn't know what we were doing. It was a really young crew, really international crew. We had people right. there that didn't speak English. And that was a huge hit, Roger Rabbit. Yeah, who knew? Yeah, a mm-hmm. massive We, we didn't. It, yeah. Yeah, there were times when we did test screenings, and we honestly did a test screening at Disney Studio where half the audience walked out. Wow. Because it was still pencil test. And really? at that time, people didn't know what pencil tests were. We had to kind of educate the audience on that. Right. Um, so they were going, what the hell is this? It's like this Invisible Man movie. I don't know what's going mm. on. And they were like laughing at the screen and stuff. Interesting. So you never know. Um, but it turned out okay. Yeah. And Robert, and Robert Zemeckis was on fire at that time. He did oh Back God. to the Future, the first three movies. He does Roger Rabbit. He does all these other things. And, uh, and then, of course, Spielberg was already massively yeah. gigantic yeah. at the time, too. Yeah. Zemeckis is an amazing guy and just a really good writer and, and great storyteller. Everything's motivated by characters. Well, and Back to the Future screenplay, considered now one of the best ones ever. I'm the mm-hmm. best. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With now, Roger Rabbit, what was the hardest part? Was it the pre-production, figuring out how you were going to put all this together, or was production while filming, after uh, putting was, animation in? It was probably that um, while we were filming, we didn't know how we were going to do it. Yeah. So it was taking this leap of faith, which most of life is, and going in and shooting this literally Invisible Man movie. Mm. And we had all these rigs for um, Benny the Cab and for Hoskins to be thrown around, the actor that played um, Eddie yeah. Valiant. Yeah. And, um, and we just thought, we'll, we'll fix that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's easy. And the thing that Zemeckis wanted to do, and Richard also, was to put uh, have, interact with the environment a lot. So if, mm-hmm. if the rabbit came in and put his hand on a chair and left, there'd be a, a mark in the dust where his glove was. Oh, right, right. Uh, so all that was rigged. We had great puppeteers from Hanson Studios, and uh, it, it was it was a place where they were just willing to do anything. But we had to pick up the pieces in animation. Then, mm-hmm. so they wrapped. Everybody went away, and they said, "Okay, here." And, uh, <laughs> here's, your, here's your movie. Here's your movie <laughs> and a few million dollars. And, and that um, first bit, the first isn't the first part of the movie like a, a seven minute cartoon. Yeah, 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 completely. And we worked, so we worked on the cartoon while they were shooting, and that was our oh. way to kind of warm up to it. And Dick actually animated most of that cartoon himself. Um, God, it's, that's some of the most amazing animation. That whole roller coaster sequence. And all mm. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, so we we figured it out. Obviously, it's very low tech. It's pre computers. It mm. was all kind of traditional yeah. Oxbury down shooters and yeah. um, you know cells on a top light backlight flip flop rig. So you would top light it, and then you'd turn on backlights and turn off the top lights to create 
it's matte. Wow. And then that all went off to ILM. It was all yeah. shot Fist Division, 8 Perf, uh, which is film turned sideways. That's how movies were made, James. Back yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah it's Sticks and bones. Film. It's a clear piece of plastic with silver <laughs> on it. With little holes Interesting. in it. Interesting. Yeah. Yes, we have stone tablets. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we were uh, we figured it out. And cool. it turned out great. And then um, uh, good, uh, we know a lot of the same people. Uh, Kevin Lima and I went to school together. Yeah. Uh, director mm. of Enchanted Amazing. and Tarzan. Amazing guy. Amazing guy. And then Kirk Wise, uh, Beauty and the Beast, the mm-hmm. first animated film to be uh, nominated for an Academy yep. Award. Him and Gary Trousdale. Then they move on to Hunchback. Mm-hmm. Then they move on mm-hmm. to, what was it after that? Atlant- Atlantis. Atlantis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, can we talk about Atlantis for a second? Yeah, you bet. I know Atlantis was expected to be this massive thing because mm-hmm. the, the, the movie was coming out. And I remember I knew a lot of people that were working on There was a TV series that was started. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. And then the, then the TV series got stopped. Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit about that? Well, uh, boy, every film has uh, great expectations. Yes. Hope springs eternal. This podcast business. has great expectations. It, it, and rightly so. <laughs> um, so you go into it uh, hoping for the best. And I, I'm proud of every movie I've worked on, but mm-hmm. some resonate with the audience more than others. Sure. And that's just life. Yeah. Um, there's some great work in it, and it's oddly, it's found its uh, its niche after all these years. Like um, Emperor's New Groove is another example yeah. of that. Like people love that movie. Now, let me ask you, was that a huge hit in the theater? Uh, no. Emperor's? No. It no. wasn't. No. But People talk it about feels it. like it. So, so you end up doing um, Emperors, but I mean, that, that, was that a huge hit in the theater? It wasn't no. a huge hit. No, uh, it was, it, it, no, because people were used to these big uh, Broadway musicals, mm. and so it was a little uh, head-scratcher, I think, for people. It's a little character piece. It's a little character piece, and it's a simple story. You know, take a, a rich man and put him in a poor man's world, you know, put mm. him in a homeless world. Hey, or, because, oh, make him a llama, too, while we're at it. Make yeah. him a llama while we're at it. <laughs> <clears throat> so it's kind of a little Aesop fable, almost. Mm. Um, but if you're of a certain age, you know, like my daughter loves that movie. And yeah, my kids talk about it too. And I'll, like, I'll go to Comic Con and I'll say, "Well, yes, I did Lion King," and, and it's like, "Oh, well, that's nice." And then I say, "Well, I worked on Emperor's New Groove," and people come unglued. They go, yeah, they go yeah, yeah. So you never know. And Atlantis was a little bit the same way. It has a following, which we're lucky for. But you just never know. Like uh, Pinocchio was a bomb when it came out. It didn't do well. Wow. Fantasia, yeah, didn't do well. And I don't think Dumbo did well either, didn't? Dumbo, Dumbo did okay, Dumbo but did it was okay. really low cost. Yeah. Um, so the movies will find their audience eventually. Um, Atlantis, we were just trying to do something different, and I really admire Kirk and Gary for this because we brought in Mike Mignola, who does the Hellboy comic books, yeah. which we loved, and he styled the movie. And then we wanted to do a widescreen, which we hadn't mm. done in a while, like a 2.35 ratio kind of movie. Um, James Newton Howard doing the music. It was not a musical. It, it was full of explosions. Uh, and we just wanted to do an adventure movie, like Journey to the Center of the Earth mm. or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm-hmm. And those Jules Verne's movies were our kind of point of departure. And so it turned out great. It actually did well at the box office. It did like $100 million worth of business uh, opening. But the previous movies had done $300 million worth okay, of business. True. So it's like how much... And that was post. That was post Toy Story too, right? Toy yeah. Story had been out, so was every was everybody kind of. I know how executives think. Well, though the CG movies are obviously that's what people want to see. Let's mm. start making those now. They, they hadn't turned that corner yet, but they were starting to. Yeah. Um, Disney was late to the game with computer graphics, if you remember, because Toy Story and Pixar were not part of the Walt Disney Company. Mm. Um, they were their own entity with Steve Jobs, and um, and so those Toy Story movies and Bugs Life were starting to come out. And Disney, in retrospect, should have done, we, I blame all of us, should have done <laughs> Atlantis or Treasure Planet, should have been CG movies. But that didn't turn. We, we got to it late and started to do you movies. You didn't have the infrastructure for that. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. We yeah. had CAPS, which is kind of a sophisticated ink and paint system. Yeah. Um, so Dinosaur was the first uh, kind of CG movie we did. 
Dinosaur, um, that's right. I remember Dinosaur. Yeah. Yes, yes. That was a huge investment in computers and capital. And that's back when a $50,000 computer was this huge doorstop of a thing that had less power than your cell phone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So anyway, uh, Disney came a little late to that game. And, and those transitional movies, like if you look at Treasure Planet, which I didn't work on, but it's a great movie. And But you see like um, Long John Silver with a CG arm mm-hmm. that Glenn Keane animated the character with a pencil, but then the CG thing is happening. Or in Beauty and the Beast, you'll see the ballroom built as a CG object. Yes, yes, yes. But everything else is hand done. So we were struggling with how how much do you leave the Disney legacy behind? Right. And now, ironically, there's no pencil animation happening at Disney. Yeah. Um, which I don't think it's. There's design. nothing. There's not one thing. I I'm not close to Disney animation right now, so I don't know for sure. Right, right, right. Um, and and I know, I, I would guess that there's nothing against it as a technique. I just think a, a director or somebody has to come in with an idea that works really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotta, again, it's gonna be the story. Yeah. With, uh, that, oh, oh, with projects like you're saying Treasure Planet, and you didn't work on it, but it was at the studio at the time. So, do you? Is it really collaborative? Like, do you get to see other people working on projects yeah. that you're not yeah. even working on yourself? Well, yeah, you have people like uh, Ron Clements and John Musker in the studio who did Treasure Planet and mm-hmm. Little Mermaid and Aladdin yeah. and Moana. You want them to look at your movie, mm-hmm. so we would always bring them in to look at Beauty and the Beast or whatever we were working oh, on. Oh, very cool. And they would bring us in. So there was a that kind of brain trust idea uh, is a very Disney idea. Mm-hmm. And so we would try to bring in those talents as much as we can, because why wouldn't you? So it was really collaborative. I think it's it's really different from in the live action business in that way. Mm-hmm. Live action generally is about a script and a writer yeah. and then a, a, a director that, whose singular vision it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love the collaboration of animation more. It's about the best idea. And so you're working on all this stuff. You're the producer. You're your guy. You're really, it's funny, you're going from one era to another, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. You're going from the pencil era, which was like, who's going to, this, this is the only way to do animation mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. And then this little movie called Toy Story comes along and says, wait, oh, wait a second. <laughs> we yeah. Can, we can can actually yeah. do this now. Didn't you guys make a couple of CG movies like Chicken Little? Wasn't that Disney? Yep. Chicken sure was. Chicken Little. And what else did you guys do? Um, it, well, I never saw Chicken Little. I don't know if anybody did. Anybody, was that a big hit? It was not a big hit. No, no. Okay. it's a good movie. Mark Dindle directed it. He yeah, did yeah. Uh, Cats Don't Dance and um, really good director, one of the funniest people I know. And he did Emperor's New Groove. Mm-hmm. So after New Groove, he did Chicken Little. Um, so yeah, we had our, our era of trying to get our feet underneath us to do Meet CG the Robinsons. movies. Mm-hmm. Was that Disney too? Meet the Robinsons yeah. was after that. That's right. So that era, for whatever reasons, most of which I can't talk about. Um, <laughs> you know, people's change, chemistry changes. You have execs like change. You have like a ten-year good time in your mm-hmm. life yep. if you're lucky, and then that all goes away. We're in the middle of our ten-year good time, Jason. Yes. yes. Oh, good. I, we at its peak. Maybe no, you're, four you're years <laughs> right now. Yeah. Have you worked on a CG movie? Because I've done stop motion, live action, 2D, a mix of the two. Like, I don't think I really have, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, I don't know. I, it never. It's, it's not that it doesn't attract me, mm-hmm. but this will sound awful. But it always felt like a marionette movie to me. Mm-hmm. Sure, like you're building puppets and moving them around. I can see. And I really felt like uh, I admired what Pixar was doing so much. I just thought. I can't do that. Mm. And I wasn't that interested in doing that. Um, I love the hand-drawn stuff. And I'm not I'm not stuffy about that. I, I really adore the computer-animated films and what you can do with it. Um, 
I just never was attracted to it that much. And so I migrated more towards live action after that. What do you think it is about 2D animation that has, it has a charm about it that's different than 3D? Yeah. What do you think it is about 2D animation? I don't know. Sometimes we, as people have said, it's like a handwritten letter. You, mm -hmm. know, you can see the hand of the artist. It's a little like clay animation or whatever where you see mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. humanity to it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that that's exactly true because I see humanity in a lot of CG movies. Oh, yeah. They've, the way they've mastered it now. Yeah, it's getting yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but I do think it's a, it's a graphic medium and it's a medium of caricature. Um, and because it's great, like one of my favorite movies is 101 Dalmatians. Mm, yeah. I feel like the story and the graphic design of that movie is a stunning mid-century marvel. Yeah. Um, so th that's something that CG animation... And the way they use models, like the little white oh models my God. the trucks yeah. and stuff like it's, that. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so that kind of hand-drawn um, aesthetic appeals to me a lot. Mm. And because it's a graphic medium and I, I, I love graphic arts and um, just that whole sensibility. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and it's tactical. Like you could feel the animation. You could feel yeah, the paper yeah. it's on. So what's it like? What was it like being at Disney and being surrounded by literal history? Like you can see, you can go into the morgue and see the hand-drawn animation from past films. Well, first of all, you have no idea it's history. And secondly, you have no idea you're making any history. Mm -hmm. And none of us do. Yeah. You know, it, if, if somebody had asked, well, just gosh, you must have known that <laughs> sure. Lion King was going to be a big hit that would be on Broadway. Not, we used to laugh, actually, about that someday they would do like a Lion King ice show or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It was so absurd. Yeah. Absurd. Um, yeah, because so, you're, you're just getting the work done. You're yeah, just exactly trying to work. That, I mean, you know like, how that is. You're just got your head down. I got to get this yeah. done. You're trying to make a paycheck and get your work done. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what it was like. Mm -hmm. So we had a sense of history with the old guys when they were around. Now we're the old guys. Um, <laughs> uh, and they were generous. They were yeah. with their teaching. They were really generous with us. That's yeah. one of my favorite things from Waking Sleeping Beauty is the uh, transition between, I don't know who described it, but it was like old men in sweaters into uh -huh. total Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What was that like, the transition? Because I found that so interesting. That was a real slap in the face. Yeah. Not, not in a punitive way, <laughs> uh, but in a kind of cold water splash in the face yeah. way. Um, because it was a, a, a very relaxed country club atmosphere, college campus. I mean, you yeah. know, you had yeah. walked around there and stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, very relaxed. You it had a time clock. You punched in. You got your work done. You had to get a lot of work done before lunch because there was a lot of margaritas at lunchtime. <laughs> um, smoking. You know, uh, it was just an absolute time capsule from the 1950s. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when Hollywood came in, which was kind of the Michael Eisner era, mm. um, it was the best thing that could have happened because suddenly the reality of, this sh of business kind of came into yeah. the yeah. marketplace. Um, nobody cared about animation that much. And then when it became apparent that animation could make money, and there's other factors too. I mean, people don't think about this, but there's no DGA affiliation, Directors Guild with animation, or Writers Guild affiliation, and very little SAG or Actors affiliation. So the economy of making an animated movie is actually what was really good. Yeah. Um, they were reasonable to make. I, I don't know what, I think our budget on um, uh, Roger Rabbit was maybe four or six million dollars for the animation alone. Wow. Amazing. And then, wow. Nice $88, that's still not that much. It's not that yeah. much. Yeah. So it was a real economical thing, and they started making money. And of course, the other thing that happened was the VHS kind of video revolution. Mm -hmm. So not only can you release the movie, but suddenly everybody wants one for their new VHS mm -hmm. player. And that was a cash cow because it was free money. 
Mm -hmm. it, it was free money. You could just say, here's here's a movie. Not only The Lion King's and Beauty and the Beast, but here's Cinderella, and here's Pinocchio. And yeah. Oh, by the way, now we're going to re-release it. It's 30th anniversary. Or yes, yeah, out of the vault. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's really interesting about right now where we're sitting, because the whole streaming business is changing that yet again to mm. the degree that the videotape business mm. did. Yeah. Because now there's not going to be a vault anymore. So now you want to see Cinderella today or tomorrow or three years from now, you see Cinderella. And uh, so that's really interesting, the yeah. dynamics of that. Mm. Cool. So do you, um, now, right now, you've, you, have you left Disney officially? I mean, yeah. You're, you're out of Disney now. I am. It's ironic because I'm doing more work for Disney now than I probably did when I was there. Wow. But, um, yeah, about four, But you don't go to work in the studio anymore. You're not, I don't. Right? No, about four years ago or so, I was really ready for a new chapter in my life. And um, I ran animation for six months to a year, the year that we bought Pixar. Mm. Um, the studio came to me and said, we need somebody to run animation because we're oh. letting letting go all these executives that did run animation in the chicken little kind of era. Mm -hmm. um, and they needed kind of an interim head to run it all. So I knew everybody and knew all the players and knew John Lasseter and Ed Catmull really well. And um, that was a really good time. But after that was done and John and Ed came into the studio, which was a really positive thing for that studio, um, I just felt like man, I could stick around and do this again, but it's a little bit like Groundhog Day. I, I've done this already. I'm not sure I can do it better. Um, and I didn't just want to repeat my life again and again. Um, and I had some, you know, I, I, I started working on nature movies. I started the Disney nature brand. Mm. Um, so we did Earth and chimpanzee and lions and all that stuff. Um, and that was great, working with the BBC Nature guys. Are you outside? Uh, are you out there getting the footage uh, with these guys? You Not a chance. No. <laughs> no. no way. And neither are they. It's funny. <laughs> it's the, all stock footage. The producers, who are great people, Alistair Fothergill and Mark Lindsay, they live in uh, Bristol, England, and they're BBC Nature folks that we hired to do these Nature Nature movies. And they, they go out in the field, but they hire these camera people that are true adventurers wow. that go out and get you know, bitten by snakes and eaten by crocodiles. Uh, like the, the chimpanzee guys were in the field for like two or three years filming chimps oh and gosh. chimps don't do anything and in a movie they look like they do mm -hmm. yeah. they sleep they mate they throw their poop <laughs> you know and and you can't use any of that in a movie yeah. so um well these, you make a certain movie a I certain mean, movie yeah, yeah. There's which like some kind of yeah movie. i'll actually show you that later yeah. um, <laughs> we'll be right back <laughs> we'll be right back um but the so the movies were fun to make uh because i got involved in the story and the kind of editorial putting it all together like what do you do with 70 hours of chimp mm. butts um, <laughs> Jace come on what do you do Jace, yeah. um, <laughs> Jace. Um, this is Hollywood Jace 3D make it 3D 3D right yeah, yeah. that's Perfect. the right answer yes thank you um, right so it, I, that was fun too because that was mm. a story I, I love story I, and I'm not I just love storytelling so you guys just take the footage they give you and you go what do we got how yep. to make a movie out of this yep. okay but with that I right. find it fascinating you went from animation docu documentaries because yeah. they're the exact opposite like you figure out out yeah. the story before animation is close to being started and documentaries it's at the end right it, it, yeah it's reverse engineering mm, it's like yeah. putting a puzzle together without the picture on the mm. box you know you're just trying to figure it out mm. so we um, and like later I found out like Walt Disney kind of did the same thing you know, he came out of the World War II era mm. and started making his Disney his nature movies that's all they would show on Wonderful World of Disney by the way when I was growing up I, I, want, I, wanted, well, I wanted to watch like on Sunday nights I'd watch Wonderful World of Disney I yeah. wanted to see like Pinocchio Peter Pan Absolutely. and they would show those occasionally but you always get like a nature movie Slappy the Beaver yeah exactly yeah. right yeah. and they're like well alright and I'm like oh. but then when they would show like you know some of the Jack Hanna cartoons or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. Winnie the Pooh or whatever mm. oh now yeah. we're talking you know exactly yeah mm. well, I love the nature movies you guys should definitely try to make
think a few. Um, <laughs> well, and, and even that went through a technological change because now all of a sudden, like Roy Disney used to make nature movies, and he said we we have like these little five minute um, magazines, and so after five minutes the film would run out, mm -hmm. and it was really noisy, and so the, like a, a squirrel would run up to the camera and freeze for all the noise, and then when the film ran out, the squirrel would start singing and dancing, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but with digital photography, you could run for three hours and get right. amazing things. Mm. So that was a great experience, and that got me kind of lit up about documentaries. And, and this I, is in the mid-2000s? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. And 2012 with Chimpanzee, you were a writer on that, right? Yeah. So what, yeah. how do you write a documentary after the fact, like with this <laughs> hours of footage? Oh, man. This is going to be a long interview. Um, <laughs> wow. I... It, out of necessity, and I didn't do it alone. I brought in uh, Kirk Wise, oh, okay. Quietor, who worked with us and helped write, and a guy named Dave Reynolds, who wrote Emperor's New Groove, because mm -hmm. he's funny. He used to oh. write for Conan O'Brien. And I just thought, this needs to be entertaining, otherwise it's going to be really dull. Um, so we would sit in a room and, and literally go, okay, uh, here's a sequence where the mom chimp takes the baby to the river, and they make avocado toast, or whatever it was. <laughs> and um, you, just, you just come up with gags and yeah. ideas, and, and then try to find a narrator that's going to be able to Deliver that. Who narrated chimpanzee? Uh, oh, it was either Samuel Jackson or um, Tim Allen. It wasn't Morgan Freeman? Maybe it was Tim Allen. Uh, yeah, oh, Tim, Allen. Tim Allen. I think it was Tim Allen. Allen. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, so that was great because then you could mm. write for a certain voice. Yeah. Um, so that that it, it was great, and I still do it. I still write a lot of IMAX movies for Miguel Ovalle Freeman and. Um, and, and for Disney too, mm -hmm. so I, I've I just really have loved that. So, but I, being a more of an independent producer was important to me. Um, so the last five years, I've had my own studio. I moved off the lot, uh, mm -hmm. which I had been on for 35 years, mm -hmm. and. Um, have my own place, and so it's a little bit selfish. I also felt, just with the dynamics of the last three or four or five years, there were some social issues I wanted to address with my filmmaking, and I thought, mm -hmm. the world doesn't need another Don Hahn cartoon. I could really use my skills to make documentaries uh, and give a voice to people that don't have a voice. Wow. And um, so, it, whatever, however that manifests itself, like I just finished a movie about Howard Ashman, um, it, I don't know, but I, I just love that aspect of it. And I also love working small. You know, we have Stephen and Lori, my producer, and there's you can make a documentary with five people mm -hmm. and that that challenge is really terrifying it's, but wonderful no it's true and it's a lot it's a lot easier to manage and as many people to answer yeah. to i would imagine yeah all yeah. produced by you all independently yeah so far very cool so far yeah i mm -hmm. uh, it's not that i wouldn't take on a uh, partner or a studio or whatever but i really wanted it to be um personal and I'm fortunate enough to be able to um, try to do that. So. You'll be in a position to be able to do that. That's really yeah, awesome. I'm really lucky. So what, now if we could ask, if you can reveal anything, what's coming up next? Anything we can talk about that you want to talk about? Wow. Um, the Disney streaming service is fantastic. I mean, mm -hmm. Warner Brothers has one, too, and many, many studios. Disney Plus. Disney Plus, mm -hmm. which is launching in November. I'm uh, working on, which has been announced, a uh, film for Epcot, uh, mm -hmm. for the French Pavilion at Epcot, which is fun. Um, I love it. I mean, I, I think probably first I was always at Disney and geek and, and like all yeah. of us grew up there um, so being able to work with the Imagineering guys is uh, like a dream for oh me. my gosh it must be so cool it's great um, and then I've, I've done a documentary about the Gamble House which is Doc Brown's house from Back to the Future <laughs> we work with the Rose Bowl a lot to do some historic documentaries um Gotcha. You can see the Rose Bowl. I'm not saying where we are, but it's, yeah. it's right around. From my telephone book. Yes. You can go on right. Google and type in Rose from Bowl. From a friend's house. From yeah. a friend's house. Yes, you can see it from one of your friend's house. Yeah, and it's a, it's a beautiful place. Mm. Um, so the, it's that kind of thing. I... 
I love it. I love the independence. Mm. I love working with Disney um, still, and they've been great to me. I, you know, I have to say, is working for any company is challenging. You know, I mm. can't say Disney was perfect, and it, it never has been. You talk to the old guys, and they were no company is perfect. No company is perfect, but um, by and large, their aesthetic and their approach to entertainment has always fit me really well. Mm. And, and in fact, I discovered a few years ago. I, I went to Paramount after I left Disney and helped them set up their their animation division. I discovered I don't never want to work in the movie business. I just want to work at Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that's sounds very amazing. Yeah, and I didn't know that about myself, but it's really that aesthetic and that kind of sensibility that appeals to me. Is that why you have an executive producer credit on Wonder Park? Is that yeah. the Paramount connection? Yeah. yeah. So what, what was that, the beginnings of Paramount um, Animation? I had several friends over there, uh, especially Bob Bacon, who was one of the executives at Disney Animation, and he asked me if I could come over and help them um, get their first movie up and running, mm. and that is Wonder Park. Uh, and I had a really good time. I brought in Rick Heinrichs, who is Tim Burton's production designer. Rick is a production designer on everything from Dumbo to Nightmare Before Christmas. And we set up shop, and he got a little team of 30 artists and um, just started jamming on that movie. They were starting, working on that. They were starting to work on that at Nickelodeon right around the time I was leaving. Like, oh, wow. It was wow. like February 2018. They yeah, were starting yeah. to come in, yeah. So they were I, doing SpongeBob stuff and mm, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, uh, you know, they're off and running now, but that was before Paramount really had an animation division because they had just lost DreamWorks as a distribution mm-hmm. deal. Um, so a lot of dynamics in the business, largely because it makes a lot of money. Mm. The studios really love it, and these animated movies are evergreen because you can look at a movie from... Look at... Um, you can still look at Lion King from 1994. So that's 25 years ago this year. Yeah. And you can still watch it. It doesn't yeah. age. The actors don't age. Yeah. The actors don't get, a tr- get into trouble with the law. You know, it's, yeah, the yeah. story's timeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's the other thing I love about it. And there's always kids being born that want to watch cartoons, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God bless them, yeah. God. yeah. <laughs> so there you go. But what is it about Disney, the environment inside creating movies that's different from other studios then? Um, Would you know? You've been to another studio, or right? a little bit. I'm not sure. Right? I, I'm not sure. I do know completely. I, like right now, I have a lot of friends that work at Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. and they have a really good environment happening. But they're all Disney people. Alison yeah. Abadi runs their animation department. She produced all these amazing stop motion movies with Tim Burton and Wes Anderson. Um, so they have a, a similar. Uh, collaborative environment. I think that's it. You check your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. You come in. Yes, the director has to tell the story, um, and that's what we're all there to do. But it's collaborative, and it's not as ego-driven sometimes as other things. I think it's very hard to put a live-action model onto animation, and that's where a lot of studios have failed and gone wrong. Where mm-hmm. they say, "Let's, um, you know, we're going to uh, buy this writer, and this writer is going to write a script, and then we're going to storyboard the script, and we'll make it." doesn't work in animation. I'm sorry, because the leap from a printed word on the page to a visual image on the screen is huge in any medium, but especially in animation. Um, so I think that lesson is starting to be learned because there's enough uh, experience now in the animation industry where people are understanding that and investing more in visual development artists and storyboard artists and the people that really make the movies. Mm-hmm. So well, as we wrap up here, let's just ask a couple more questions like a dream project um, that you'd want to work on. Or something you'd want to do if you could? Um, my own rib restaurant. <laughs> no, um, I, 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 you know, I, I love documentaries. I'd love to find a long-form documentary. Um, and I actually have thought about this for PBS, because I'm on the board of PBS out here, um, of doing one about the animation industry, like Termite Terrace and the, the genesis of animation mm-hmm. in Hollywood. I'd love to, I'd, nope. I, as a, an animation nerd myself, mm-hmm. I'd love to see something. Yeah, well, you should be in it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, like, how did that start? And what was the competition between UPA mm-hmm. and Disney, and why did all those artists 
leave after the strike to go found UPA, and how did that turn into Warner Brothers? And Walter and Lance was in there. Walter somewhere. Lance, yeah. and everybody came through Disney, but how did that blow up? And so that that how did animation get from there to this multi-billion dollar business no, that I it know, is? That's yeah. um, just something that interests me. That's very mm. cool. Great. Yeah, so that kind of thing. I'm curious, uh, you've worked with so many amazing people, like uh, story people like Joe Ramft, um, John mm -hmm. Laster, Brad Bird, Tim Burton, so many amazing creative people, S Steven Spielberg, mm -hmm. and you've studied um, Walt Steven, Disney. Steven who? Uh, Spielberg. Spielberg. He's worked on some tiny movie. Oh, okay, oh. sorry. Um, yeah, you guys may have not have heard I of Back to the Future type of thing. I heard of that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you've also studied uh, Walt Disney through documentaries and books yeah, and things. Yeah, yeah. So who have you worked with that's most similar to Walt Disney? Wow. Other than us two. Other than yeah, two other you us. guys are given because, <laughs> you know, you're sitting here on my sofa. Um, it's funny. There's a lot of uh, people that would claim that throne. Mm -hmm. um, or even yourself, honestly. Yeah, yeah I, I know my limitations. <laughs> Walt was really interesting, and what I admire about him is he, he was brilliant at, at finding and using talent. Mm -hmm. And he would, if he were sitting here, I think he would say this. Mm -hmm. Um, and I knew and talked to his daughter a lot and Ron Miller a lot who knew him. He was uh, extremely persistent. There was no such thing as no. If he wanted to do something, he just knew it could be done and he'd figure out how to do it with the money and the talent. But his organization was his strong point because mm. he couldn't draw as well as anybody. He couldn't design theme parks as well as anybody. Uh, but he had this imagination and knew who could execute it. Mm. He knew he could take Mark Davis out of animation and stick him in, in uh, Imagineering. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's not the theme park business anymore, it's the storytelling business. Mm -hmm. So you literally go from you know little boat rides and things, now there's Pirates of the Caribbean, and there's these drawings that Mark did for the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. And um, you know, so he's able to move his talents around. Mm -hmm. And that would clock Coates, you know, is one of the layout guys. And, to be able to use those people in all these different mediums. I'd probably say maybe maybe Spielberg's up there <laughs> with with Disney in, yeah. in that sense. Everybody wants to be Walt. No one can be. But, I mean, like, you know, Spielberg's probably done as much as Walt yeah. has. But, I mean, I, I remember one time I was thinking, I, I bet Walt Disney has his name on more physical items in the world than anybody else does. Because yeah. any, any little Donald Duck figure. It's any, everywhere. Yeah, it's just all over the place. He's so. a really savvy businessman, and his brother was too. And, and that's a little bit the era. Uh, so when television hatched, he was the first one into it. But it's like now, like social media and the, the internet. It's like what you guys are doing. You have your own show. Well, that's what Walt was doing. Mm -hmm. um, but Spielberg's great. Um, you know, Richard Williams is a creative genius on the drawing board uh, in business and other things. Not Maybe not so much. Um, I have to say Katzenberg. Mm -hmm. In fact, Joe Grant, yeah. Joe Grant, who worked really closely with yeah. Walt uh, and wrote Dumbo and Lady in the Tramp, all those movies, he said, you know, there's a little bit of Walt in Katzenberg. Mm. His persistence, his drive, his taste wasn't always right on, mm -hmm. but he knew how to pull good people in. He knew who talented people were, mm -hmm. um, and he had this persistence about him. So I think that there's a little bit of that in uh, Jeffrey. Yeah, very cool. With, um, with yeah. Jeffrey, I think it was Jeffrey in Beauty and the Beast, he was the one who said that the production needed to start over, right? Was that him? <laughs> on every movie. Every movie? <laughs> well, yeah. You gotta start over. I remember in Awakening Sleeping Beauty, you said, like, he's not gonna make a start over, and then he did. Like, yeah. that, the production yeah. started over. But now that's a really common occurrence I feel like in animated wow. movies with Toy Story, Incredibles, Monsters Inc. Like they always start, and then they're like, "Nope, we got to start from scratch again." <sighs> yeah, man, you just don't want to be the first director on an animated feature. Yeah, really, because <laughs> that was almost a cliche. After a while, you mm. you'd go on the field trip, like you, you were making Mulan. Yeah. You'd travel to China, or you'd 
be on Beauty and the Beast, you go to the Loire Valley and look at chateaus, and they get fired off the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it was with every movie. Um, hopefully, that doesn't happen as much anymore. Was that because of Katzenberg? Like, was he the one who? Well, he was the one that had the final uh, say. Yeah, yes, sure. I was going to say balls, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the final say to be yeah. able to. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, in a locomotive. So anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, of course. But he, he had the uh, wherewithal to be able to change that and be brave enough to do it. Yeah. It's hard to call a director in and say, it's not working out. It's mm. better for both of us if we part company. Um, but he was brave enough to do that. And inevitably, on every show, uh, the movie got a lot better fast. Mm. Like Kirk and Gary on Beauty and the Beast, yeah. that was a Battlefield promotion. They had never directed a feature before. Wow. They were doing a little show for Epcot called Cranium Command. <laughs> yeah. and it was a pre-show. Like Jerry Reese was doing the main show, but they were doing the pre-show, and it was brilliant. And uh, we said, let's give them a try. And we didn't even call them directors. We said, you're kind of temporary directors. <laughs> But on that story crew, we had uh, Brenda Chapman, mm-hmm. Kevin Lima design characters. We had yep. Roger Allers. We had wow. Kelly Asbury. Kelly Asbury, yeah. I mean, these people who are all the leaders of animation right now were on that movie. Yep. So that's all of my this, job. It's so funny. All of, a lot of these people you mentioned, we were all in the same classes at yeah. Cal. Oh, yeah. Like that early 80s yeah. group of people. It's so wild. You guys were in the right place at the right time. And I absolutely include you in that because there was this amazing time of opportunity and a real handoff from the old generation from like the... Kind of Barbera guys or Filmation or whatever, yeah. just look to you. And then there were places like Nickelodeon you could go mm. to that were anxious to get a new voice. Uh, and the same was true with Disney. So that those early generations at CalArts, another Walt Disney idea. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, know. He, he invested in talent. Yeah. I mean, even back in, I'm going on here, but even back when they started doing Snow White, mm. he was spending a million dollars a year during the Depression on training alone. And, and he was giving that to Chenard. He was driving his, his people down there. He Art Babbitt would have drawing classes at his house on the weekend. They brought in animals for Bambi. They invested in their artists, and nobody had ever done that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think to this day, uh, Disney Animation, certainly Pixar, Warner, some of the studios around are doing that as well. I mean, mm-hmm. just to make an animated feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, to even try that back then. Nuts. And then to make it good and more, make yeah. people want to see it. I mean, uh, and, and, you know... T- to achieve that back then, yeah. just think about mm-hmm. the, the the people that said no to him. And again, his ability to, to find the people to do it. Because no. if you look at early shorts where they were building up to it, there's great ones like The Old Mill, but there's like Goddess of Spring where there's real rubber hosey mm-hmm. kind of yep. characters for uh, Snow White. The Old Mill, I had a copy of that when I was a kid. I bought a Super 8 version. I'd watch it in my bathroom. It's great. <laughs> yeah. It was the darkest room of my house. Yeah, yeah. But just the multiplane in that alone. It's brilliant. It's gorgeous. Mm. So Not a word of dialogue spoken. Wow, amazing. Nope. Nice. Well, it's like Bambi. There's, what, 700 words of dialogue yeah, in Bambi. Really. So he would invest in technology. He was a technology geek, um, invest in people, and be able to pull somebody like Freddie Moore into the studio that mm-hmm. revolutionized the look of Disney. Mm-hmm. And he knew it. And said, so, okay, take a crack at Mickey Mouse. Take a crack at, you know, whatever. And then when they got to the 50s, he brought in these mid-century artists like Tee and all your teachers. Yeah, um, Bob Winquist. Uh, Bob guys. Winquist, Tom Oreb, um, mm-hmm. Walt Paragoy, all these guys that are my, my mid-century idols um, to rejuvenate the studio again. So, yeah. amazing guy. Mm-hmm. Well, Don, you have any more questions? Oh, I got a bunch more. But I go, but going, we have to end eventually. I know, I know. <laughs> we have to Stop eventually. Going back to Beauty and the Beast, that I don't was want to stop, you know. <laughs> that was the first animated movie that was nominated for Best Picture, yeah. correct? Yeah, and that was you. Like you were the one nominated. It was your name on it. It and, was. Yeah. And you accepted the Golden Globe for Beauty and the Beast. So I what, what, what it's was right it? behind me? Oh yeah. Oh, I there just, it, is. it just stood out right there. Wow, it's amazing. Wow, there we go. That's cool. Um, but leading up to that award season, was it anticipated that Beauty and the Beast would be an awards contender? 
Well, I, I, it's, it was very deliberate. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, oh gosh, we had no idea. Yeah. Um, and again, I go back to Katzenberg. He's a clever guy. He and uh, several other people in the marketing department felt like for animation to really um, coexist in the same field as live action, mm -hmm. we had to educate the audience. Yeah. So the same year Beauty and the Beast came out, we did a show at the Whitney Museum in New York mm -hmm. with animation art. Mm -hmm. We did coffee table books about mm -hmm. animation art. We did tours with uh, Glenn Keane and people that could talk about the craft and the beast and how they did it. Uh, we did a showing of the unfinished version of Beauty and the Beast at the New York Film Festival. Oh my gosh. Never been done before. Oh. So there was this uh, very calculated idea to expose animation and the vocabulary of animation to the audience. And that was brilliant because that had echoes even to today. Uh, and that's what exposed it to the Academy and kind of got us that nomination. Wow, amazing. Now have you guys won any Academy? Have you yourself won an Academy Award? No, I never have. Because um, there wasn't a category. I haven't either, so yeah. just, you know. Well, we should work on something. We, have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we, should, we could probably spend some money. Um, no, I, I, there was never a category for animation um, up until after Beauty and the Beast. Um, yeah. So now there's a separate category for best animated film, which is terrific. Um, but I haven't you know, been honored with that yet, and that's yeah. cool. You know, I, mm. I, I, when I see people win those Oscars now, like Pete Doctor and yeah. uh, the guys that did Big Hero Six, and oh, yeah. he's so happy because yeah. they're all the guys that worked on all the Pixar stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're brilliant filmmakers. Brad Bird, you know, they're, they're just to me those guys, the Pete Doctors and Brad Birds of the world, and Kurt and Gary and all the people we're talking about. Oh yeah, are are really the kind of modern geniuses of animation. Mm, sure, Brenda Chapman, you know. Yeah. Now, what's it like to revisit the projects that you worked? with at Disney uh, on live action films even though you did Maleficent as well which yeah. live action Sleeping yeah, the, Beauty yeah, I actually like Maleficent a lot it was yeah, really, it was well, awesome. really yeah. well done and mm -hmm. now Lion King is out the live action Lion King. I have yeah. heard that yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. for the rumor you, you know, produced that you produced on that I, yeah I, I have to be honest it's really weird mm -hmm. um, Maleficent not so much because I certainly didn't work on it and I love Mark Mark Davis came up with that character yeah. it's not in the original fairy tale um and I had developed it for a while as an animated film, and then Angelina Jolie mm. changed it all. She's like when you, when Angelina Jolie calls up and wants to do a film with you, yeah. you have to say yes. And it was such perfect oh. casting. And there's a new one coming out. There's Maleficent two yeah. coming out. So that got that movie going. Lion King is is the kind of next step beyond John Favreau's Jungle Book in terms of using the computer to animate in photorealistic ways. Um, and it's kind of great because I can remember when uh, uh, Polar Express came out and there was mm -hmm. that kind of, it was great, but it was Uncanny Valley, humans, yeah. strong attempt and, and yeah. loved it. Same but with Beowulf. Beowulf, um, these Bob Zemeckis movies, and Bob is fearless about technology. Um, but Lion King, I think, starts a new, if, if you're in animation, you'd be very wise to pay attention to Lion King. And I don't say that uh, to make myself sound important, but um, it's really John Favreau and his crew because it's a a virtual reality filmmaking process. Mm -hmm. So you go visit the set at Lion King and you put on goggles and there's Pride Rock and there's the lions walking around. Wow. And John would walk over and say, well, you take the camera, Don, and you see this <laughs> little virtual camera coming at you and you pick it up with your controllers and you move over and you fly the camera around and you fly up to the top of Pride Rock and you have complete mobility everywhere. And you're um, on an empty stage? 
Yeah, it's in a black box theater almost. In Amazing. Play of Vista. The animation is all rig animated, so there's no motion capture in Lion King, mm-hmm. which is astounding because it's really good. Those animators did a great job. Um, so the animation's um, in cycles, and so you see it cycle, and you see Simba run up and push his dad and say, wake up, dad, wake up. And you can go over and shoot a close-up, you can shoot a long shot, you can shoot a down <sighs> shot, whatever you want, and editorial's right next door, so that data goes right next door, mm-hmm. and you see a low-res version of it cut into the reel and see if it works, and then it goes off and gets rendered. So the process and the ability of game engines to render stuff really quickly is amazing mm-hmm. now, and just changes everything. And there's a big debate online whether Lion King, the 2019 version, is live action or animated. So being a part of it, what would yeah. you call it? <sighs> well, using the vernacular of the last hundred years, it's animated. Yeah, right? There's no question, but uh-huh. I, I think it's right to talk about it, what it is, mm-hmm. because it is, some people have called it like virtual cinematography and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, the animators who worked on it killed themselves, and they are, honest to God, grown-up animators. So uh, it's an animated film. Uh, but I, I think people, it's right to debate it and talk yeah. about what it is because it's so different. Well, then, I think this is the first animated movie remade as an animated movie, right? I, don't, I can't think of any other movie that's similar. It's a remake, yeah. Wow, yeah, interesting. Right? Might be right. I've never thought of that. Mm. Thank God you're here. Give me the Golden Globe. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I, 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 will. Yeah, yes. I have some pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Okay, listen. Yeah. I'm going to give you one more question for Don Han. This oh, no. Wait, wait, question. wait. If we're getting we one more. We have to let Don Han go oh. back about his to Don so, Han. He's got Don Han stuff to do. I'm so tired. I have to choose then. Please, let me go. Let me go. Okay. I'll give you what you want. You have one question. I'm okay. Drum roll. I'll go with this. A drum roll. I'm and fascinated about. Oh, this isn't really quite. Okay, overall, the Gong Show at Disney. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that. Can you explain that to the audience? What that was? Uh, for those of your viewers who don't remember, uh, Chuck Barris had a TV show called The Gong Show. I remember that yeah. very well. People, yes, it was weird. People would come out and. Gene, Gene, yeah. the yeah. dancing machine. Yes. Oh, yes. It was like a tacky version of America's Got Talent. Yes. So yes. People would come out and perform, and if they were horrible, they could get gonged. Yeah. Um, so this was a, a Katzenberg, Michael Eisner thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a panel of judges, which is Katzenberg. Uh, Peter, this was at the studio. At the studio. Okay. At the building you were in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Peter Schneider, uh, those guys sit at a table, and you had uh, three minutes. So Mike Gabriel comes in. Mike Gabriel says, it's uh, West Side Story meets Dances with Wolves, <laughs> Pocahontas, and he holds up a drawing. And it's like, great, we're making it. That quick? Wow. Yeah. And then there would be a like hundred other ones I that you wouldn't I was a live-action reference model in Pocahontas. I, Were you really? I was, I, I was John Smith and the Indian Coco. I, I was can totally Indian. see that. I, 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 I was actually cast as an actor. I was trying to be an actor at the time. And I got ca- I went in for the audition. I auditioned for John Pomeroy and became an unlife actor. How <laughs> it's funny. Fun. Mike Gabriel. How is Mike, by the way? Mike's great. Has been at Disney all this time. He's, oh, man, talk about a great designer and a great animator. Yeah, what a t- super great guy. This is back in the 90s, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you could pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Little Mermaid came up, and, and it was gonged. It was like, no, we're not going to wow. make that. Wow. Because we, the studio had just done Splash, mm-hmm. and, and they had a gong, and they had a gong. <laughs> well, who was allowed to pitch? Who were anybody? Anyone in the studio? Janitor, receptionist. Did janitors and receptionists? Yeah, within yeah. animation, commissary workers, <laughs> awesome. uh, in betweeners. It didn't matter, um, and some good ideas came out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so awesome. it, it was very smart because it allowed people to vent their creative angst that they may not get doing in-betweens all day long. Mm-hmm. That's a very focused, frustrating job. Um, yes. Yeah. And it made you feel like you were heard because you were. You were mm-hmm. To have executives who are running a corporation like that and have Roy Disney sit there and to give you his time 
and listen to these things. It was a really good thing. Mm. Very cool. Amazing. Okay. No more questions. Okay, we have to let this man go. It's hard. Yes, I'm go exhausted. Exactly. Like, <laughs> Sorry. Lay down. <laughs> well, Don, thank you for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys are great, and You're it's so uh, good to have you here. It's well, a real thank pleasure. You. Uh, we won't, we've only taken a couple things that you haven't noticed, so you won't. Yeah, notice uh, that's okay. I'm quite elderly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't see them gone anyway. I'm frail. Yeah. We put horse blinders on you. I don't know if you noticed. No, just bring my walker back. Okay, well, listen, thank you so much for coming. Mm. And guys, listen, anything else uh, you want to talk about? This, uh, anything else? I have a that's lot. It. No, that's it. I don't think you should ask me. I just feel okay. Dietary okay. habits. We'll yeah. be on Hunt part two, one of these things. <laughs> okay, that'd be great. I'd love to, I'll get yes. your political views next time. Okay. Love that. <laughs> Perfect. All right, guys, this has been Butch and Jace and the amazing Don Hahn. Thank you so much. And roll of the theme music.